You are listening to the Small Liquor Hunting Podcast, the hunting podcast that is free of advertisements, bought and paid for opinions, and minutes and minutes of sponsorships. If that's what you want, there's a plethora of other podcasts out there. Here, we're going to talk openly, we're going to talk honestly, and we're going to live in the real world, free of sponsorships and paid for advertisements and opinions that are governed and dictated by them. That sounds interesting. Stay tuned for this episode of the Smalley Grounding Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Smalliger Hunting Podcast. Uh, Before we get started with the interview, just wanted to kind of do a little bit of a a check-in, an update, and kind of, you know, a lot of people are always wondering, Ty, what are you doing right now? What should I be doing? What are some things? Well, you know what? It's it's early September. The time to, to be in there disturbing and disrupting and scouting, you know, unless you're on a trip... Um, elsewhere to properties that you've never been or you've only seen aerials and such, you know, then you have no option other than to delve in and get to know your property. But a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are like myself. We're hunting private land. We're hunting land that we own, land that we operate on. And we build that knowledge in a more, I believe you are more successful through building that knowledge through a less disruptive way letting the cameras do their work, letting the year in, year out work and sightings and logging and journaling, you know, unless you have a really good memory, I recommend to log, especially if you have a new property, you know, log all of your occurrences, log all your things, whether that be in an Excel spreadsheet, a handwritten journal, some kind of software out there, you know, it helps you get to know and, and learn the tendencies of your property that maybe you wouldn't even notice otherwise. So there's a lot of different softwares out there. You know, WiseEye has one, Hunt Perfect. There's a ton of different softwares out there that you can log events or trail camera images and things of that nature. And it helps you get to know and learn the directional travels of the deer and how they inter, you know, work with your property. Matt and I actually had a great conversation. We delved into a new piece that he picked up. We didn't get into it in the podcast, but after the fact, we talked a lot. And, and it was, there, Matt, spoke about a couple things when looking at trail cam pictures that I think a lot of people could benefit from if they asked that. And they're items that I've been harping on for years. And a lot of people, when they're reviewing their trail camera images, they just want to see the big buck. They don't start asking the questions, why? Why is that deer where he's at? What direction is that deer heading? Those are two questions that I think every single picture deserves a you know pivotal picture. Um, picture of a deer that you would shoot, um, you need to ask, why is that deer where it is? Why is it traveling in the manner that it is? And what direction is it heading and where was it most likely at previously? Those are questions. Yes, it's tough to know for certain a deer can change directions to, you know, two seconds after the camera images or a, a, a second before the image. So the directional travel on the picture does not always equate to what actually happened but as you get more and more intel and more and more occurrences your data begins to crystallize what it's actually trying to tell you so I just I recommend that you do that you know right now I still have a little bit of fertilizing to do Um, I got COVID really bad in August the wife got it and then pops got it and he's still in recovery on his and uh, it's just kind of delayed what I wanted to do fertilizing wise, but I'm this week before rain someday, even if I have to take off work, I am going to be hitting my properties. I'll be fertilizing. I will be going directly to the spots that need fertilizing. I will not be going off trails. I will not be going anywhere that does not require fertilization. And I will only check the cameras that are along the way. I'm not going to disturb the property in any capacity. Um, you know, we are less than three weeks in essence from me potentially walking into my woods to target a specific buck or a specific couple bucks. And I don't want to do anything that's going to be detrimental to that. So, you know, for lack of a better saying, if you're not ready yet, it's too late to be ready. Um, I guess if you've delayed all this time and you finally can, yes, you need to get your stands out and such. Um, I would try to do it in a torrential downpour or before a torrential downpour. Um, but you know, all the, all the plans and, and things should be in line and believe it or not, 
I am going to be discussing kind of learning a property on the fly during the season because I'm hoping to pick up a couple more properties um, this week. I never stop sending letters for permissionary sake, and I'm trying to find a, a small farm or middle medium-sized farm that's between my work and my my home. Preferably right around my home makes for quick, quicker and easy hunts, um, which is easier on the family and easier to justify. So if I get one of those, I'll be sure to take you guys along. Um, somebody did email if you know the closing happened on the river bottom for Pops, and it did. So they are the proud owners of about 27 acres, give or take of a complete 100% river bottom. Um, so flooding is going to be an issue. It's going to be a different type property than we've ever hunted before or owned for sure. Um, and he's potentially getting a logger in there this fall even yet. So we'll see on that front. Don't have many other updates for you. I know he went and hung up some no trespassing signs. We're hoping to meet the neighboring landowners here shortly and uh, have the logger come out as well. So I think that kind of gives you a brief update and thoughts on my part. This episode, we're going to delve into and discuss um, a property and the changes that occurred over a few years for Matt. Matt is a great example of a small property owner that has seen the uh, increase in deer use, deer activity in general, but then also just buck use in general as well by making a few key things that I find myself recommending to every single person almost that comes to me for my thoughts or just talking to me in passing, um, I, I feel like if you can do these couple things, you have you greatly increase the odds that your property is going to be advantageous of use for the deer. It's gonna be it's gonna be a property that they can utilize, and uh, we're gonna delve into that in a little bit more. And we hear a little bit of uh, his past, present, and 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 what's going on in Matt's life. So it's just a great real world, real hunter, you know, normal guy like you and I hearing his thoughts and things that he went through. And there'll be some links in the podcast uh, comments, whether it be on the website or on Facebook or whatever. If, if you click on the, the details or the comments of the podcast itself, you'll actually be able to get the links to go to his YouTube page, watch the video that we discuss, and things of that nature. So, And stay tuned. As I hint at the end of the episode, we've got some more, uh, more podcasts on the way. And uh, I'm going to hopefully take the camera with me this fall a little bit more than I used to in the past. I kind of delved off of that a little bit, but I know a lot of people enjoyed it. So might bring that back. So here we go with this episode of the smaller hunting podcast. All right. Welcome to this episode of the smaller hunting podcast. I'm your host, Ty Miller, and we are blessed to have on today a guy that I would call my friend at this point. You know, we've talked enough deer at this point. If you talk to a guy more than a few times about deer, they they gradually become your friend for sure. And uh, we are joined by Matt Thilking. And Matt has quite the story of the journey that he's taken on his own property. Um, but before we get started and we delve into the property first, thanks for joining Matt and uh, for coming on with us. Yeah, Ty, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So this this podcast is going to be a little, little bit different in the past. It's essentially going to be two guys just talking about deer and deer property and everything that Matt's done over the past few years that he's owned his place. Some good, some bad, some things that he's learned from and some of the things that he's changed. But Matt, for, for the listeners, first just kind of give us a quick flyby of who you are and then let's describe the property so people can kind of visualize it that are listening. Okay. Yeah, sure. So my name is Matt Thiel King. Um, I live in Southwest Michigan, been an avid deer hunter my whole life. I, I grew up basically in the area that I live now, but between college and a few other jobs, I've had the, had the pleasure of hunting in other States like Texas, uh, Virginia, Ohio. Uh, I went to school in the UP. I kind of count that as another state cause it's totally different than, than where I'm from in Southern Michigan. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer by, uh, by day job. Um, but I've just, I've been a deer hunter my whole life and I've been fortunate enough. Um, this will be season number eight for me to have purchased the home, um, with property on it. So I can hunt literally right out of my back door. Um, that was always a dream of mine and my wife and I are super blessed to have both the house and the, in the property that we have. Um, I guess to start when we, when we purchased our house, it actually only came with six acres. Um, and it was kind of a long, 
narrow six acres. So not a lot of road frontage, but my property went back a quarter mile from the road. And the first season, I actually did great on my property. Um, I killed a nice eight point or what I would consider a nice eight point here um, in Southern Michigan. And it wasn't until 2016 where, where both my challenges as well as you know, all the habitat improvement stuff that I started diving into really kind of took effect. So in 2016, my wife and I, we were able to buy an adjoining 15 acres of just vacant land um, that butted right up to our six. So as it sits today and is, you know, what Ty and I are going to be talking about, I now have 20 acres And the best way to describe my property is if you picture it kind of like an L. So my house would be on the, uh, I guess, uh, upside down L. Um, My house would be on the on the short leg of the L. So that would be, you know, my driveway, my house, my yard. And then my entire wood section um, is kind of that a longer, longer piece. And if you broke that long section up into kind of thirds um right off of my backyard is flooded timber um it is wet most of the time it's been dry this year so it has actually dried out a couple of times but normally it can have anywhere from say three inches of water up to probably 10 inches of water if it's really really wet uh the the middle third of my property is higher ground but it's still swampy it's muddy uh that really dark soft just black you know dirt and mud and stuff um a lot of maples a lot of ash trees a lot of you know tall grasses cattails things you would find in just swampy property and then the last third of my property is straight cattail marsh um it you'll sink up to your belly button or further going into it most of the time um one section of it is pretty like open cattails there's not a lot of brush or uh, cover in it and then another section is kind of the opposite it's got a lot of um, you know like tag elder and red osier dogwood and willows and a lot of dead ashes that have fallen so that that section has a lot of cover there's another part of it that that doesn't so that kind of in a nutshell you know from a real high level view is is what my property looks like yep and uh just kind of zooming back out, if you move onto the west, just for those listening, kind of the overview of the properties around, it's kind of a mixed yep. agricultural area. Um, yep. You know, across the road to the east, he's got a lot of ag fields um, that are there. And then to the west, there's kind of an entire, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a river bottom, but you've got a swamp essentially to your west off your property. It extends pretty far, right? Yeah, it does. So the whole the whole area is a mix of ag in fairly swampy um, woods as well as actual like swamps or cattail marshes. So my property, that that last third where it is a cattail marsh, there's a creek that runs through it. And that creek system just kind of meanders. It's not a very big one, but it meanders kind of through the entire area, kind of giving you those uh, those pockets of good cover as well as ag fields. So there's there's plenty of deer in my area um there's some really good ones kind of across across the street a little ways into another another kind of bigger section of woods um so overall i mean for michigan it's it's a pretty solid hunting area yeah and so this is the eighth season that you're entering this fall you said you yep. purchased the additional 15 to make it a whole 21 in 2016 up until 2016. So when you didn't have the 21 and you just had the six, did you really do anything or did you mostly just hunt the property and, and that was about it? Or were you starting to do any habitat stuff then? No, in, in 2014 and 2015, um, you know, I hunted, kind of like a lot of people hunt in Michigan and nothing wrong with it at all. You know, at the time baiting was legal, mineral blocks were legal. So I pretty much, you know, I actually kind of hunted it smart and didn't even know it. Um, I basically had just a pop-up blind right off of my flooded timber, just straight back from my house, kind of the 
the easiest, you know, the straightest line from my backyard. Um, I had corn pile and a mineral block. Um, so I really didn't stomp around a whole lot. And yeah, I killed, I killed that eight in 2014. Um, rack wise, not super big. Um, he was like a hundred inch deer, but he dressed at like 195 pounds. He's still my biggest bodied buck to date. So I was, I was really pumped for that and just killing the first deer off of dirt. I own, um, it was definitely a, definitely a special buck. Um, 2015, same setup. Basically, uh, I missed a, another eight of similar size and I shot a doe. Um, so, you know, 2015 wasn't bad, but it, it was really into that 2016 through 2019 where I started, um, you know, I was super pumped that I had an extra 15 acres. I now had 21 acres and I had, you know, I had a lot more, a lot more swamp or kind of a lot more, uh, you know, woods to swamp edge. And I thought for sure, I was like, I'm, I'm going to do really, really well now. And it was actually the exact opposite. Um, I had stands all over the place, um, cameras all over the place. Um, and, and really, bef- you know, I was kind of my own worst enemy for, for four years. Um, it wasn't, it was really in 2019, um, I guess 18, I, you know, I started um, really absorbing as much habitat improvement related stuff as I could. Um, I listened to a lot of Jake Elinger, Jim Brocker, Randy Vanderveen, Jeff Sturgis, um, anything habitat related on wired to hunt. Um, Steve Bartillo was on there a lot. Um, I just started absorbing all that stuff I could trying to find, you know, if there was some video or some post or something where one of those guys had a marked up aerial and just kind of trying to, trying to see where their brain was. And I, I started dabbling in the habitat improvement basically after I was just frustrated. I mean, I was struggling to even hold does on my property where I could shoot a freezer filler late season, let alone, um, you know, target a, a halfway decent buck and starting in really a little bit, 2018, 2019, I dabbled in the habitat improvement and it, it made some, um, some improvements, but the scale that I was doing it at, I mean, just to be perfectly honest, I was kind of nervous about, hinge cutting a whole bunch or making a bunch of changes and, and not knowing what I was doing. And, you know, that's kind of where you and I met was mm-hmm. I, I found you. Um, I, I wanted to have you or, or Jake or Jim or Randy or somebody come out here, but convincing, you know, my wife to, to spend the money to have somebody come out and walk around the woods with me was a, was a bit of a challenge. So I was, super excited that you did online consultations. Um, and I knew, you know, talking to you, I was like, I'll get you. I've said this in some form. I was like, tell me what you need. I'm like, I'll take pictures. I'll shoot videos. I'll, I think I spent probably three or four hours in my woods that day trying to take pictures and stuff for you. Um, made a PowerPoint, all that stuff. And, and I really just needed, someone to kind of, uh, you know, I kind of treated you almost like an answer key. I had (laughs) made my own, my own habitat plan and, uh, and checked it against, you know, what you had put together for me. And I was happy with some of the things I thought of, and I certainly benefited from, from some of the things that you thought of putting that together. Yeah. Now I want to, I want to back up just a little bit. You said a couple things that I know the listeners probably their ears perked up you know you felt like you were your own worst enemy during that like three-year stretch when you when you kind of felt like hey i got all this new ground you know any of us would be more excited i mean shoot you add one acre to my property i'd be ecstatic you know you doubled or more than doubled your property um specifically what what do you think what aspects were making you your own worst enemy was it back there too often was it the dist or the intrusion factor you were going too deep was it too many stands was it were you paying attention to the wind just kind of unpack that a little bit for people because i know they're probably interested yeah sure so i 
you know, growing up hunting, I, I learned to play the wind and basically not, not to blow your wind where deer are coming from or where you expect them to be. Mm-hmm. But where I really, I didn't give deer enough credit was their ability to pick up, you know, your ground scent or things that you're brushing up against mm-hmm. after you're gone, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that night or a couple of days later. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a combo of stand locations, how I accessed them and the number of times I hunted them. So I had a couple stands, which, I mean, if you could, you could teleport to these spots, they would be fantastic because they are They're. Yep. That's exactly (laughs) where I was going. I remember looking at your property and there was a stand in the Southwest corner area that you wanted to have. And I was like, if you could zip line into that spot, <laughs> I, I, the list, I'm telling you listeners, you've got the thick swamp. That's like to the point where unless it's dry, they cannot walk to your left or your West to your East. You have the higher ground where these deer are actually, it's like a pinch point between the houses and the road and the swamp. I mean, it, it just screams having to have a stand there. Yep. Um, but begrudgingly, that was one of the first things I told you is I would not hunt that more than once a year. And it, it would have to be go in really early in an all day sit just cause you're asking the deer to cross your, your entrance. Yep. And you know, it, it's a risky gamble. It's a gamble. That's probably worth it. When the, when the bucks are going nuts, that's when maybe you'd risk it. Um, but yeah, I think that's one thing that a lot of people learn. I know I've learned it. I still struggle with it. I have a stand that I refuse to take down on my property. I, I talked to Jake about it. It's the best spot in my whole place, and I've never hunted it. <laughs> and it frustrates me to no end. But there will be a stand in that tree probably when I die, just because I, I refuse to take it down. But sorry, keep uh, so so kind of the locations that you were hunting, and you know the ground scent aspects of it. Was there anything else that you think that maybe you've tweaked a little bit? I mean, you know, the that I've tweaked would definitely be those locations, because similar to that south stand. You know, I had another one, wasn't quite as good, but it was another, mm-hmm. another great spot on kind of like my North property line or close to it. Yep. So those, I mean, really anytime I hunted it, um, and I guess, you know, to back up just a little bit, most of my travel is North and South travel. Yep. Um, so me accessing those, if I didn't kill something, um, I basically just laid a giant scent trail you know, right across where all the deer are going to be, going to be going. Um, so I, I kind of cut off, you know, my proper side in the South side by accessing those stands. And, you know, it was apparent in trail cam pictures. I had plenty of night photos. It just wasn't, wasn't daylight stuff. So yeah, you know, 2020 was when I'm, you know, made the big changes. Um, and I think the number one change was moving those stands and basically getting everything um, on kind of my east side of my property where all that flooded timber is. Um, I do actually still have that sweet corner stand. That's still there. I would leave I, it too. <laughs> it's still there. I just know if you're going to, if I'm going to go do it, it's kind of got to be a, a boomer bust yep. situation. Um but yeah, the majority of the stuff that I hunt now is basically I walk through water um, and and usually the deer are not in that. Um, in the wintertime when it freezes, they are. But for the most part, that is that is mine as far as access goes. So every stand, I mean, I have to take, let's call it no more than 20 yards off the water. So I, you know, move north and south and then it's through the water and then it's maybe 20 yards of dry land and I'm in a stand. Some of them are right on the edge. Some of them I'm like, they're in the water. Um, so that, that was definitely, if I had to pick one thing, you know, had I done nothing else and you and I had kind of talked about this, had I done nothing else, that probably would have made an instant impact for the 2020 season by just moving those stands having better access to my property. Yep. But you've also done some other stuff. You've been in there doing some more hinge cutting now, you know, before you said you were a little hesitant for it, which 
completely makes sense. I mean, it, it sounds like a foreign concept if it's something brand new to you, but you've started expanding your Western betting area, we'll call it, correct, right? Yep. Yeah. So that was, um, you know, that was something that I was thinking, and that was that was the big part of, you know, if I want to call it your answer key, that really made me get in there and just and just do it. So that whole, um, basically the whole swamp transition line, um, I hinge cut that. And it's, it's kind of a, it's not real wide, um, but it's just a long strip. And my swamp actually turns kind of in the middle of my property. Um, so it, it's this kind of L shaped bedding area. So that was, that was probably the biggest thing that, I did in 2020 was, I mean, pretty much any chance I got, um, I was out there doing that. And, you know, from there, um, I also, you know, I made, I made some trails, um, which wasn't anything crazy, but it, it definitely helped. So just where I had those stands set up, um, now on my East side, I basically just coming out of those bedding areas. I, I tried to just make, trail intersections um with how the deer like to move both north and south but also giving them some east to west uh trails i i pretty much had a trail intersection at like every stand um bingo plot yeah yep i do have a food plot which i actually put in um trying to think i feel like it was like 2017 um you know, I kind of, when I very first was like dabbling in the habitat improvement stuff, I was like, first thing I need is a food plot. So I, I made one, I, I took down a bunch of trees, blasted a hole in the canopy, made a food plot, um, grew some beautiful plots that the deer really didn't use. Um, and I learned, you know, another big improvement, um, was some edge feathering. So hinging some trees around the edge of it, um, incorporating some plot screen, which is a bit of a challenge to grow in my wet soil, just depending on the conditions. But I found out last year that even a little bit, um, even just a little bit more edge, just a little bit of plot screen or whatever, breaking that, that plot up, um, that, that helped a lot. It adds and, that, it adds that visual that that upright vertical structure that you know for the listeners that are listening you know it might sound like oh swamp his property is really thick well it is in sections but then as you move towards that saturated soil and where all the water is n there's no understory because yep. nothing can grow in standing water or very few things can um, yep. so you know for an essence you basically have a park-like setting if you hadn't done anything, you would have had a park-like open setting with mature timber growing out of this water. Um, so I know you did some edge feathering, you said. You've worked on getting some uh, used plot screen. Was it sorghum or was it Egyptian wheat? Do you remember? Which did you use? It was, yeah, last year I used the the Northwoods uh, hybrid sor sorghum. Yep, that did well. Um, this year I tried kind of staggering, so I would put... I tried some, um, some miscanthus and some of that same Northwoods plot screen. And I, I did it in areas where I could get the miscanthus kind of in front of the plot screen. So with the basic miscanthus south of the plot screen, just so it would get sun and not get shaded out. Um, and that did okay. It, it got a little, a little wet. So some of the miscanthus is growing now. Um, some of it is not, it, it's something I want to try a little bit more next year. And that was my first time trying that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're a hundred percent correct in what my, my woods, um, you know, kind of the bigger timbered sections looked like and where this food plot was, was yeah, as soon as, as soon as it was fall and leaves were falling and a lot of the grasses and things that could grow in that understory once they were dead it was just wide open i mean it was like food plot and you could see you could see a long ways through you know the woods and stuff um prior to doing some hinge cutting yep. edge feathering plot screen 
that kind of stuff. And, and that really, um, that helped cozy up the deer, um, as far as them using it last year, it made a, made a big difference. Well, and, and you have some trail cam pictures and, and I'll be sure to put in the show links. You did a great video showcasing kind of, you had a lot more bucks using your property in daylight, having to cruise through the property, through the food plot and around and about, um, you know, I've seen it on my property where I, people think I'm nuts, but I mean, you rarely are, if you're a deer and you're on any spot with food, you're two leaps from cover on my place. And I think it adds to the fact it adds depth to your property and it adds structure to where a deer can no longer visit Matt's property and just stand on the northern edge and check the whole thing. They might be able to with their nose, but winds shift and swirl. And, I mean, you've got pictures of some excellent bucks um, cruising through your food plot during the daylight, which did that happen much before you started doing all this? No, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was pretty pumped to get doe pictures in daylight on my food plot, let alone some of the bucks that I had. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a lot of, you know, prior to doing stuff, um, I, I maybe held, I would usually hold a doe family group, maybe two. Um, and then bucks were, and they still kind of are, but bucks were pretty much just like rut passed through. Sure. Um, and I think just a lot of them from me hunting, you know, when they did pass through, they, they picked me off. Um, but yeah, last year and you know, it was, it, it really sucked last year, but this year it was, or this year it's kind of a blessing in disguise. I, um, my son's daycare last year was closed the first week of November. Um, so both my wife and I working as well as doing mommy and daddy daycare, I, I basically didn't get to hunt that first week of November, um, at all. And I remember not being, um, I wasn't too worked up about it because the temps were really warm and it was just, you know, I kind of just thought, you know what, they, hopefully they won't be doing much yet. And when it cools off here in another week, then there'll be game on, um, and yeah, I, I hunted, uh, I think it was the, the eighth or the ninth was the second time on my property. I got one um, late October hunt in. That was the first time I went in and I missed a buck. He was there like the day before. Um, similar conditions. I just didn't catch up with him. Didn't hunt again until the eighth. And when I pulled cards um, on a few trail cams, it was just a, buck free for all back there that first week in November, they were, you know, they were chasing does. They were cruising through the food plot. They were, you know, same buck at three different stands morning and evening. Um, I was shocked. I, you know, that week of pictures, honest to God was, was probably more daylight buck pictures in that week than I had, you know, on, on that food plotter, darn near my property in general, you know, the previous six years, um, or, or, you know, I would say definitely like four or five before I, you know, purchased the more, more property. So I was just like, Holy smokes, like this, this is a, (laughs) this is a vast improvement, um, much better than I thought. And so, you know, having kind of that Intel, um, and how those deer moved with, zero pressure basically other than one hunt at a very conservative stand in October. Um, I got, I got a glimpse of what my property looks like, um, especially during the peak hunting period without me in there. And I think that's going to be super, super helpful for me, um, for this 2021 season. So I'm, I'm pumped. Yeah. And nothing. Oh, I, when you were when you were explaining to me what was going on in your place, like that is why I love just talking deer and helping people with their properties because your excitement crosses over onto me. And I mean, there's just nothing quite that pumps you up like watching deer use a property when you've got blood, sweat, and tears, you know, poured into it. And oh my gosh, it's working! Like you know, up until that point, you were probably questioning everything. Like 
I want to hunt that stand. I want to do this. This is weird. And everything just started working and clicking. And, you know, I hope it keeps going for you. There's one aspect, though, that I know you do that I do as well. So you would act, you actually killed a buck pretty early last year, right, if I remember? Yeah, I did. Um, Not on your that, property, but close. Very close, yep. So basically my neighbor um, who who touches my property, he let me hunt um, on his property this year, or sorry, last year. And he would normally have a few guys that hunted, um, but they just didn't. And he was like, yeah, go for it. So I, uh, you know, that was a, it was a really cool hunt. Um, cause I'd never been in there. Um, I'm, I'd seen the edges of it. It's real wet, real swampy. Um, it, but I had never, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to like scout it or I didn't want to go scout it because I kind of thought it was a little too late in the year to go stomping through there. Mm -hmm. Um, but the October 1st is the Michigan bow opener. The weather was just absolutely perfect. It was cold. It rained all day and it was going to quit raining at like 6 PM. So I was like, this is fantastic. Let's go try it. The wind is good. I think deer are going to be, over here based on the aerials. Um, so let's just kind of make this a, a scout hunt um, and just see what happens. And I guess my, my other mentality was kind of like, okay, um, you know, this property has seen hunting pressure before. Um, you know, not that I want to bump deer or spook them, but my thought process was if I do, um, hopefully it's similar to, whoever else hunted it in the past and my property is going to be untouched for a while. So hopefully they just, if I'm going to bump them, they're going to move towards mine. Um, so yeah, I got in there. I, I basically hunted, you know, the, the property, that property gets pretty close to an ag field. So I was kind of in the swamp, but in view of, of this ag field and it was, it was just perfect. The rain stopped and I got in pretty clean. I bumped one deer. I don't know what it was, but I got in pretty clean. I, I couldn't get up very high, um, where I wanted to go. The trees and stuff were, they're just gnarly or they're little or the, the big ones look like they're going to fall over if you climb them. So I got up this dead ash tree, like six feet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, Dan I had my, style. Yeah, I put the base of my climber on the tree. I didn't, and I, I just hopped up in it and then attached the top and strapped in still. Um, and yeah, I actually had, to my surprise, because I, like I said, I never killed a buck on October 1st. I had a buck walk out right out into that. It was a bean field. Um, and I was like, oh, awesome. This is sweet. And he, he kind of started working my way. And then I saw another deer or I didn't know if it was another deer or, uh, or that same buck. And then next thing I know, they're basically, you know, they're behind a bunch of stuff and then they're right on top of me. Um, still didn't know if the second one was there or not, but I shot the, the first one. He was a two and a half year old seven point. Um, I shot him at five yards, six feet off the ground. Um, <laughs> uh, so that was, that was super cool. Um, definitely the closest I've ever been, um, a very rewarding hunt and a, a confidence builder of just kind of, uh, putting a plan together, going in blind, no expectations and it worked. So it was cool. That's awesome. And you know, that, that's, that leads me into my, my direction I was heading with it is, you know, you don't rely solely on your small property. Um, I think that's something that a lot of guys, you know, one of the things I know I shared with you is you're going to have to accept the fact that you can't hunt every time you want to on your place because it'll actually do more damage than good. And, you know, yeah. I have a bunch of properties, well, not a bunch, I've lost three in the last year and a half, but I have some properties that I have permission to hunt that really I have pretty low expectations of, but you know, with guys like you and me who own sub 30 acres or, you know, I grew up on nine and with your, with your original six, you know, you can't overhunt them. You just can't, yep. the, the, the human intrusion factor. So, 
you know, just because you have your own piece, if you're listening, that's great. You know, make it the best you possibly can. But you're, you know, whether it's public or, uh, uh, you know, a f- I know guys that set up on field edges and they don't even have woods that they can hunt, but they, they get as close to the woods as they can. And they, you know, they'll burn a hunt there. It's a different style of hunting. Um, you learn a lot in the process. You know, you, you, you learn that you can kill a deer only six feet off the ground. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, it's an experience that you're never going to forget. And but it kept human intrusion away from your property, you know, just like sliding those the the majority of your hunting off of the backside of your property lowered human intrusion. You also started picking and choosing precisely when you wanted to slide in and attack at your property. And, uh, you know, like it sounds like according to trail cameras and, you know, it'll be interesting as you catalog the historical tendencies of your area, you know, is that a normal thing? Is that first week in November seem to be your prime time? Um, I know at my place, it's something similar. I don't usually hunt my place unless all the stars align until October 21st is kind of the first date that I'll start thinking about moving in on my place. Um, but then when the stars all align, like you said, October 1st last year was dynamite weather-wise. What was the wind when you killed that deer? Do you remember? Was it northerly? It was a uh, yeah. It was in like a northwest. Because mm-hmm. you because you need predominantly west winds to hunt your place. I do. Yeah, west winds is fantastic. East winds bad. And then um, you know one thing I learned because I hunted a lot of. I mean, I would almost I would hunt a ton of west winds like that. Normally worked. Um, but those, those bucks that were my daylight photos from 2020, that first week in November, um, I was pretty surprised. They, I mean, they basically only moved on Norths and Souths. Um, and there was a few, you know, like Northwest Southwest that those would have worked for some stands. Um, but there maybe only had one trying to remember i feel like there was maybe only one or two that were like a straight west and they were you know in my food plotter close to it um a lot of them were north south northeast southeast which those i can't do um but there were quite a few northwest southwest that that i could um so that is something you know we'll see kind of year two of all the all the improvements, the different strategy. Um, we'll see if those tendencies hold true, but that's, that's going to be something I focus on, not just straight West, but trying to capitalize on first week of November and North and South winds with just a, I just need a tick of West to, um, to pull it off. Yep. And you know, if it gets into real prime time, if the winds are predicted to be seven miles an hour and stronger, and it's a straight north or a straight south, you know, some of your farthest east stands, if it's prime time, I wouldn't, you know, it might be worth the risk. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yep. you got to have that, you know, light and variable winds out of the north or south, probably not the best thing to do on your place. I know it's not on mine either. Um, I got to have kind of those strong winds. And uh, I'm not afraid of winds. I know a lot of people are. Um, but if you got a lot of dead or dying ash trees in your area, you probably shouldn't be out there on <laughs> really high winds. But but yeah, um, is there is there anything else um, like in your future plans? I know you're working on trying to get the miscanthus going. How's your canopy over the food plot looking? Is that something that you're going to have to thin, or is it pretty good right now? I did um, last year. I did. I thinned out a lot of the south end, um, and that helped quite a bit. There's a few a few big trees that I would like to take down, um, on my West end, just because they're, they're starting to creep over quite a bit. Um, it's, it's a challenge just because, you know, I can only, I can't access my property really other than by foot. Um, I gotta, I gotta carry everything in, carry everything out. And that, um, you know, one area that I do want to do, um, which is, you know, one thing that you had had on the, on the property plan that you did for me that I didn't have was kind of, a having that bedding 
um, not just along the transition line, but there it kind of comes off of that more like smack dab in the middle of my property. Um, that area is a lot of, they're pretty big trees. They're not really hingeable. Um, so that's something that I'm hoping here when we, uh, you know, if we get a good, a good just solid winter and solid cold temps and my swamp freezes over, I can, I can get my four wheeler back there. And a lot of that stuff I would like to just get out for firewood and start gotcha. getting that canopy opened up. Yeah. Um, you know, you could always look into, uh, for those who are listening and it may not work in everybody's situation, but you know, if hinging isn't the right thing, I know, you know, my, my good friend, Don Higgins, he's not a big hinging fan. Uh, he does a lot of hack and squirt, a lot of, uh, girdling, um, type things. And then you could technically girdle it and then it'll stand and die. And then when you get that hard winter, you might be able to haul it out too. So I know some people don't like the girdling idea though, especially if you have stands around, I wouldn't do that. But, uh, for those listening, it is another tactic. We, we, we girdled about 70 cottonwoods on my place this year and, okay. um, um, the majority of them died, um, didn't leaf out this, this year. But, you know, you're only going in deep enough to cut the cambium layer. So the, you know, 85% of that tree is still there. So it's going to take a long time before that thing, um, before that thing completely would fall, uh, yeah. I guess is where I'm heading with that. But, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you got stuff. There's always stuff that you can refine with. And if you follow Matt, um, it's Dragon. Is it Dragon Deer Outdoors? Yep. Yep. Dragon yep. Deer Outdoors. Um, Matt, Matt does a great job of, you know, kind of chronicling what he's done, what's worked, what hasn't, you know, he's, he's, he's a normal average Joe, like a lot of us. And, uh, but he's doing everything he possibly can. And I, and I knew this would be an enjoyable, uh, kind of talk through it and everything. But, uh, besides that area, is there any other plans on the horizon for you? Um, you know, I've, I've tried to be, I've tried to become a little, bit like hybrid in the uh you know mass not i don't want to say mastering but getting good at the habitat improvement understanding how to hunt a property that i can control my property um and continuing to refine that but also you know following guys like dana and fault and um you know john eberhardt um and diving into a lot of the public land stuff um you know i'm pretty fortunate there's there's a lot of public land in Michigan. There's a lot of it that's, you know, within an hour of me. Um, so I've, I've been trying to get, you know, hone my skills a little bit and, and try to capitalize on some public land bucks. Um, I, a couple of buddies of mine are, are better at it than me. And, and they, they kill some really good Michigan public land bucks. So that's, that's another big focus. We've, you know, we kind of team up, um, there's three of us, myself, um, buddy Chad, buddy Nick, that share Intel, share Onyx, share pins, share, you know, all that stuff and try to cover as much ground as we can and and do a lot of public land hunting. So I'll be I'll be doing that again this year. Um, you know, I have another property that I've had access to for, you know, basically the same amount of time that I've um, that I've had my property. It's a good one. It's, it's more of a pass through property. It's, it's a re more of a residential property. Um, but there's, there's a lot of deer there. There's some big ones that cruise through. So I'll be hunting that again. Um, yeah, I mean a very similar strategy to, to last year, just hoping that, you know, this year knock on wood, uh, come prime time, um, you know, I'm able to able to get out in the woods and take advantage of it this year. Excellent. And we look forward to hearing from you. So hopefully if something connects on your property this year, we'll definitely have you back on and you'll have to walk us through the hunt and uh, kind of see how it all plays out. But, uh, you know, Hey, last year you were doing what you were supposed to do. You needed to be dad first. That comes, that's the main priority. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Cause I could go on a rant about that. <laughs> too, too many guys, too many guys have blown up that aspect of their lives to choose hunting. So I appreciate that you did not, and you have your priorities straight. So I want to thank you for coming on, uh, Matt. It was a great conversation. I will be sure if you're okay, Matt, do you mind if I put an aerial attached to the podcast page, at least on the website? No, that's fine. That's and totally fine. 
I'll be sure to uh, post the link to the video where Matt kind of breaks down what he saw that whole, you know, the, the trail cam pictures and some of the stuff that he's done. And that'll take you to his page. You can check it out, follow him, um, whatever you want to do there. So I look, I look forward to our next conversations and I'm sure we'll be messaging back and forth this year from the stand a decent amount. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. And, and thank you again, Ty. I've thanked you before, but I'll thank you again. Thank you for all of your help with, uh, solidifying my confidence and, and, you know, really being a, a part of making my property a whole lot better. Well, I I've told Jake this and I've told you this and I've told every other person it's not rocket science. And, and to be honest with you, everybody, I, I think I use this analogy with Matt, you know, I picture you being a snowball at the top of the hill. All you needed was a nudge. That's all you needed. Um, the confidence to step forth and start doing things and, and you've taken it and you've ran with it. You're, you're a testimony to the hard work will pay off. So I look forward to many more years of success, hopefully for you and uh, hopefully more talks. So this has been a wonderful episode of the smaller hunting podcast. Be sure to tune in next time. I actually have a lineup for hopefully Jake is going to be coming back. Like we discussed when he was on here soon, we're going to talk about our early season tactics and a couple other uh, special guests are lined up as well. So haven't locked those in. So I don't want to give names, but you'll recognize. I know one of them for sure. This is Ty smaller hunting. God bless and good luck out there.